0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people, navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart.
1: Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. We have a really great show for you guys today that I can't wait for us to get into. So Phil, why don't you share a little bit about what we have in store?
2: Yeah, today we have, as you said, a great show. We got Phil Tuttle coming up uh, in the interview, and I know you guys will learn a lot from him. Uh, we also have a mailbag question that will be coming up in here in a couple minutes. And thoughts from the field from uh, Irini Mota of Restoration Ministries in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. And uh, also a recommendation from Kelly at the end of the show. And so you definitely stick around for that after the, after the interview. So uh, before we get to the interview, though, uh, we've got a mailbag question today that uh, is really just about how um, we as uh, just human beings can help orphans, orphan and vulnerable children without adopting. And so Kelly, why don't you uh, take that uh, first and just let us know how how we can help those out there who who need the help uh, without the adoption.
1: Well, I think that's such a great question to be asking and also a thing that we've definitely address as a family ourselves of uh, I think a few are called to adopt and I think that's probably just a small percentage of, of people who who God will lead in that direction and who choose to walk that path but obviously there are many many ways that we can help an orphan and so I think some first steps are probably to look locally of what what in our com- in your community is already going on whether it's a ministry that your church is supporting um, is there a way that you can um, help send uh, people maybe to to um, who are adopting that you can help fund their adoption. Are there organizations that are caring for foster children? Um, whether it's a a foster care closet, um, where, you know, some churches and some communities will have just even a place where you can drop off supplies. Um, and so foster parents are able to access that. Um, I think another great way is to even think of, what are some organizations that are doing family preservation well? Who are helping to prevent orphans? Um, and so, really doing your research there. Obviously, Phil and I can will list some some recommendations that we have of organizations. Really, of guests that we've had on there are doing a fabulous job at that. That are uh, you can trust and that you know are are providing great care. Um, I also think even coming around families who have adopted um, and providing respite, providing um, just a, a night out, uh, providing a place uh, even for the maybe their biological children that are in the home, taking them out, especially in those early days, but also just being aware of um, of those needs that are around you. Um, I think obviously, even really just asking the question of what is. What is a way I can care for an orphan without adopting is a great place to start, and then there's going to be a thousand resources out there for you to to investigate. So, what do you think, Phil?
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that the one one stop shopping on this answer for me would be to go read and you know just pick up a copy of Orphan Justice by Johnny Carr. And at the end of every chapter, he basically has a three three ways three you know what all can do, what some can do, and what few can do. And I think it's really a good start to, you know, how we can really dive into orphan care. And if you don't feel called to adopt, that's totally fine. That may be one way. And that's probably part of the what few can do, um, relatively few. Uh, and so I think that there are so many different ways. I th- I loved Rick Morton's interview. It makes me think of the guy who mowed lawns. And he goes, this is how I do orphan care. Or this is how I do foster care. And he helped the, the foster parents in the area by mowing mm-hmm. their lawn. You know, and I think if you can become certified to care for and, and be able to babysit for some of these foster kids, I know that's a huge need because you can't just have anybody babysit. Um, so that's another area. So, I mean, just, there's just so many. Just as if you get creative um, and you just think through it, like, like you said, Kelly, I think the idea of simply asking the question shows that you're willing and you want to do it and your heart is crying out for that. And so if you just even Google this question, a lot will pop up. I think really talking with adopted adoptive parents is a great way to do it as well. To say, hey, what are your needs? And I imagine the question will be answered similarly across the board. And so, yeah, I think that that is something that uh, um, it's, there's no one answer that, oh, this is the best way to do it. It just depends on what your gifts are, what your talents are. I think with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, really see what, what can you offer and bring to the table. And there's probably something you can do within your sweet spot.
1: Absolutely. And I would just add, even from our interview with Jamie Ivey, even looking at places that you can ethically purchase items, especially heading into the holiday season, that will help um, help a family earn an income. So even just simple things like that um, I'll obviously go a long way. So Phil, what about um, our interview? Why don't you introduce uh, Phil a little bit more?
2: Yeah. So we got Phil Tuttle come. He's president of walk through the Bible. And, uh, if you don't know what that is, you'll learn in the first few minutes of the interview. Phil has a lot of wisdom. He's been doing this stuff for a long, long time. Um, and he really just shares, shares with us, um, from his experiences, from his, uh, parenting from his daughter's uh, just heart for let's cries out for the orphan. Some other from other things that he's done, and I just I just look forward to uh, just hearing feedback from you guys out there on this interview, on what you're learning from it, any questions that come up from it, and whether it's this this interview or the past episodes. Please be engaging with us on our on our website on uh, thinkorphan.com at the Facebook page. Um, shoot us an email. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. Um, and, uh, hopefully we can continue this conversation that Phil is starting today and that other guests have, 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 started. We can continue it offline and, uh, in our, in the various work that we're doing around the world. So as we, uh, listen to this interview, take some notes and, uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the other side of it. Well, Phil, it's so great to have you here today with us on the podcast. Well, it's good to be here with you, Phil. People
0: are going to get their fill of fills today.
2: <laughs> well, I got to tell you, this is by far my favorite interview setting that I've ever had. We're here at Mount Hermon Family Camp where we've been able to spend this week together. And and uh, it's the second time we've been able to do this. And I'm just uh, am glad that uh, we've been able to spend some time with you and Ellen uh, again and really get to know you even, even better.
0: Uh, it's been a great week. Just... Um, those of you who are listening can't see this, but just behind Phil's head are like three massive redwood trees all together. And there's just something about this atmosphere that makes us feel correctly small and makes God seem rightfully huge and, and awesome. And it's a, it's a great place to teach God's word, but it's just a great place to hang out and build friendships. And it's, I, I appreciate my friendship with you. I really do. I wish we got to see each other more often.
2: Well, i got to tell you, I, I know that uh, I've been able to get to know you, as I said. and um, But I know that a lot of the listeners don't really know about you or Walk Through the Bible. And so I'd love for you to just be able to share for a few minutes about who you are, how you got to be president of Walk Through the Bible, and
0: what Walk Through the Bible is doing around the world. Sure. Um, walk Through the Bible is a 40-year-old ministry. This year's our celebrating four decades. And we do a lot of things. We, we produce live events or seminars. We do um, devotional um, Bible reading guides to get the people into the scriptures for themselves. We do a lot of small group curriculum. Those are the things that that's how we deliver what we do. But above all else, what we try to do is ignite people's passion for the word of God to turn them on to the scriptures. Um, that may mean taking away their fear and confusion, especially in the old Testament. We have one day live events where in five hours, you learn from creation to Christ, 77 people, events, and in, in, uh, places, in the order they happened. And you know, then, then once you've got that big organizational system, then you want to get to know more of the details. Mm-hmm. We're active in a little over 120 countries around the world, and um, we've got about 30,000 men and women who actively teach our materials each year. At least those are the ones that turn in their email updates. Right. We're sure there's there's far more than that, but those are the numbers we report. And get to minister face-to-face to about 2 million people each year, and then about that many more through our other resources. But I've been part of this ministry actually for 28 years as an instructor, um, and full-time for 24 years. Um, led the U.S. training and coaching of our faculty for 10 years, and then Um, When our founder, Bruce Wilkinson, left, Chip Ingram came in as our second president. He asked me to move over and help build the international side of it. So I did that for five years. And then um, when Chip left in 2007, I guess it was... um, that's when I became president. So it's been the bulk of my adult life has been spent with this one ministry. Our kids were four and one when we moved to Atlanta, where our headquarters is, and they're 28 and 25 now. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool to be able to have a long, ongoing commitment to the same ministry and to the same global team around the world. Right. Now, and I know that you just showed me, actually, right before this podcast, you're and uh, a
2: blog post by your daughter, who just has a huge heart for, for orphans and adoption. And it was just, it's been, that's I know how we initially connected as well, was talking, I think, about your daughter.
0: Yeah. So. she um, She's 28. She's not currently dating anybody. And if a guy wants to catch her, he's going to have to be busy serving God himself. And <laughs> they'll have to be running parallel courses. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind at some point, adoption is in her future. and. Um, she's spent probably eight months total at an orphanage down in Guatemala and um, she's taken my wife down there a couple times with her and it just Emily has always been the one who was just full of compassion and uh, and especially with a heart for the underdog Mm -hmm. and so orphan care it's there's zero surprise Mm -hmm. that that's one of the sweet spots um, in in her heart, and our son Philip, he and Erica have been married. I guess they just had their third anniversary, and um, my daughter's already going. You know, now you don't just adopt because you can't have kids biologically. You know, you can do both, and and um, I think adoption is is in their future as well. Right. So,
2: some people may be asking, so why the heck does Phil have Phil Tuttle on this show with Walk Through the Bible? And I just want you to spend a few minutes sharing, you know, as you're sharing scripture and doing walk through the Bible, sharing the material, sharing the trainings, um, how often and why do you think you see orphan care, I mean, orphan and vulnerable children and the issues surrounding them so often throughout scripture?
0: Well, I think there's, there's a couple reasons. One is because of God's own heart. I mean I have mentioned my daughter's heart but she caught that from God. God is the husband to the husbandless, the father to the fatherless. God is always it seems on the side of the underdog, the under-resourced person, the person that that society might look down on. And and God is I am sufficient for you. Let me come alongside of you and you know, it's not, it's not healthy people that go to a doctor. It's hurting people who acknowledge that they're sick, and there just seems to be a special receptivity among people whose lives are, are really hurting, and there's nothing that makes us hurt more than our family situations. The truth is, every family is a broken family. Every family is a dysfunctional family. Um, the Bible is full of examples of that. Uh, you know, even even Jesus himself, if you go through his genealogy, um, he's from a very broken family, and they didn't they didn't make attempts to jog around the awkward stories in his family tree. In fact, there's times, when there's a purposeful jog to include those with questionable moral reputation, mm-hmm. or, or, or you know, or just other ways, and it's it's as if Jesus is serving notice, even in his own genealogy, um, that I've come to seek and to save the lost. And the more hurting, the better candidate they are for my unconditional love. So. I think that I think that that's one reason it's in the scripture so much. The other reason, though, is because while it's a really rich metaphor, John three to talk about we're born again, and you know Nicodemus goes, "Can I enter into my mom's womb again? How's this going to work?" And Jesus is like, "No, I'm talking about spiritual rebirth." As rich as the birth metaphor is, um, you also find in the scriptures. An acknowledgement that the birth metaphor doesn't tell the whole story and so it's coupled with the adoption metaphor and in the adoption metaphor the big point is there is no relationship here that is pre-existing we're choosing to reach out and love this child and establish a relationship that doesn't exist and that's part of the gospel too because we didn't have any claim on God's love. We were, we were enemies. I was in rebellion against him. And the fact that he chose to reach out and adopt me where a relationship did not exist and make me part of his forever eternal family, you've got to have the birth metaphor mm-hmm. and the adoption metaphor. And I, I just think, you know, that teaches us what we ought to be about in this world, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. But have eyes of compassion that are looking for those who are disenfranchised and left out. But it also says now, look at your own relationship with God through both of these lenses. Because otherwise, you're not, you're not seeing the full picture of how much he loves us. So those are, those are just massive themes in scripture, I think. Yeah, no, and, and we've been talking
2: this week, too, about not just you know, there are the themes as well, but there's the people. In scripture who actually were orphans yeah that god used right and you have moses you have uh, joseph you know you wrote a book a couple years ago called detour which i recommend everyone goes and picks up and reads and um just talking about these these orphans who are able to um, be used by god in amazing ways and uh you know that's another thing i just love for you to share just a little bit about is is you talk about in that book the um with God the shortest distance between two points almost always seems to be a very indirect zigzagging line. <laughs> and uh, you know, and then you ask the question like, the book, why all the frustration? And I'd love you to just share a little bit about what you how you answered that question in in, in that book, and I assume you remember.
0: Um I if do, not I'll help you out. I do. But
2: uh, but yeah, just about that and then just how that really
0: applies to orphan care, I think. You know, Joseph was seventeen when God gave him the dreams that talked about, I have big plans for you as a leader. And eventually your brothers are gonna bow down to you and even your mom and your dad. and it, it was not until he was 30 that he even entered the service of Pharaoh and eventually becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt, saves his family from starvation, keeps the family line of Messiah alive and intact. Um, but but that's a delay, you know, of 13 years and even more than that if you if you count clear up to the time when the reconciliation happens with his family, and it, it just seems like whenever his life gets traction, you know, he's he's sold by his brothers, he's taken to a faraway land of Egypt, it's a foreign language, it's a foreign culture, and now he's sold as a slave to Potiphar. He's a good hard worker, wins Potiphar's respect. Then he's falsely accused of sexual assault by Mrs. Potiphar. He's unjustly jailed. You know, he, he rises to influence in the prison, so much so that it says the warden doesn't have to worry about anything except what he's going to order for dinner. Right. I mean, he's running the prison. And, you know, then again, um, the, the chief cup bearer is released, says, I'll, I'll remember you to Pharaoh. Well, he forgets, or he chooses not to. We're not sure which but another betrayal, another broken promise. And it's it's on and on and on. And it's, you know, if you graft his life, there'd be an upswing and it's like, okay, the promise is finally coming true. And then there's another crash. It looks like the NASDAQ stock market chart mm-hmm. recently, basically. And, um, you know, so why does God do that? It's not just that God's trying to get his work done and forces are stopping him. God's omnipotent. could mm-hmm. He could have taken Joseph in a day to fulfill those promises. But the only answer I can come up with is, you know, at the end of the day, God cares as much about the development of the dreamer as he cares about the fulfillment of the dream. Mm. So you think about that, if he had gone quickly to that position of influence, then what would, what would happen when the brothers come down to buy grain? If God hasn't developed his character, he, he would have sought revenge, any of us would. It's payback time and I finally have all the power. But because of all of those delays, it wasn't just that God had him in the right place. He, he had the right things in him, character-wise, and even skill sets. So I, I think God has used the book Detour. It's, it's also a DVD, small group curriculum. It's taught as a live event. I get to teach it a lot of times at, at men's retreats, mm-hmm. so it's, it's good for men and women. It's in about 20 languages around the world now. But I think it resonates with people so much because the subtitle is Finding Purpose When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Mm. Why would you take this route? I only have two problems with my golf game, distance and direction. Other than that, I'd be wearing a green jacket at Augusta National. Same way with God. I only have two problems. The processes he chooses to use and his timing. Other than that, yeah, right. I got no problem with right. God. And, and you know, when you see it in somebody else's life, especially Joseph, you go, okay, I get it. I see the parallels with my own life. And, you know, again, I mean, he, he had a mom and a dad, but... But he was orphaned by his brothers, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up in a in a culture that's totally foreign, working a job. He didn't get to choose. I mean, there's a lot of parallels um, with many of the orphans or or just abandoned at risk kids today, whether their parents are living or not. Right. And I, I see this and I love what the quote that I that you have in this same section
2: of the book. It says crises and hardships have a way of testing whether we, one, trust God to handle them. And two, genuinely care about other people. They reveal our focus. The ability to focus on others in the midst of your own crises is a sign of genuine character and an ability to trust God. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we, in orphan care, working in orphan care, can continually be going to, like in the middle of our personal crises, in the middle of our organizational crises, in the middle of everything going on, but then also to help the orphaned and the vulnerable understand that, too. In the middle of these crises, um, how can we teach them and train them up to trust God?
0: Yeah, because if, you, if you're if you in orphan care, whether that's as a foster parent or working in an orphanage or, you know, or doing some coaching or life skills development or teacher, you, I mean, you, you pick it or your role, Phil. If we didn't have any crises personally, then where's the common ground to build a relationship mm-hmm. with and, and it's so easy when we're supposedly on the, well, we're the ones doing the ministry, um, you know, two or four on behalf of other people. Um, so, God, why are you letting us struggle? I thought we would have your blessing. It, we've got to struggle or there's no connection there. And anything that we say will quickly be dismissed as, well, that's great, that works for you because you've got a lot of resources or, or your dad is still in your life or, or whatever it is. And so I, I think I think the trials we face, same with Joseph, not only are they essential for our own character, but that's what builds the bridge um, to those that God's called us to love and serve. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing you talked
2: about this week um, during the, during the talks you gave here at Mount Herman was the millennials and, you know, so often in our, in our world today, people focus on negatives of generations, right? So critical. Um, But there's some huge positives of the millennial generation that you talked about um, that we really need to focus on and, and hone. And can you share those three
0: things that you, you talked about this week? Yeah, the millennials were actually not the main topic. I, I was speaking about Josiah, you know, and right. he becomes king at age eight years old. And at 16, he starts to seek God with his whole heart as King David had done. And at 20, he starts bringing reforms to the land. He's tearing down five false places of idol worship. He's going to cleanse the nation. He's going to fix everything. And if he lived today at age 20, we'd call him a millennial. Right. Um, you know, those who are about like 16 to 35 years old is usually considered to be millennials. But um, it's not just his age, it's his whole mindset. Today's millennials parallel that. He's extremely cause-oriented, mm-hmm. as so many millennials are. There was a, a big study done by Harvard a number of years ago that said 70% of uh, recent college graduates say they'd take a job that paid significantly less if they thought it would leave the world a better place. Mm. Um, I'm a 1980 grad. We were not thinking on those terms. You had a few weird people headed to some kind of ministry, <clears throat> but for the vast majority, it was, you know, I, I want to be successful. I want to I make a lot of money. Um, so the cause orientation is, is definitely there, and there's passionate they're passionate about fixing things that my generation has left them mm-hmm. you know i mean my, my kids are like dad how can there be people still starving when there's more than enough food to go around why didn't you guys fix that right while you've been walking around on earth and um whether it's clean drinking water whether it's ending sex trafficking whether it's ending corruption in government There's just a, this ought not to be, and we're going after it. Um, The other thing that I see in millennials is a really neat balance between spiritual ministry and physical ministry, between meeting people's real earthly needs now, whether it's adequate housing or food or whatever it is, and we need to talk to the eternal part of their being about tomorrow and the future. When I grew up, there was more a bifurcation of that, that so-called liberal Christians, they cared about the physical needs and conservative, real Christians. They taught the real gospel. And when, I'm sorry your life stinks now, but someday if you believe the right things, you're gonna go to heaven and you'll be really glad you did and earth will seem like a really short time. Right. Um, the Trouble is, if, if If your baby is crying himself to sleep because your breast milk has dried up, your interest in sitting through a walk through the Old Testament seminar is about zero at that (laughs) point, right? Right. And so the the coupling of those, and millennials are asking the right question. They're saying, who made the divorce between spiritual and physical? Mm -hmm. It certainly wasn't Jesus because Jesus did both. In fact, he did both sometimes in the same story. The paralyzed man is let down through the roof. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, but he also says, now, get up and walk. Right. And, and it's coupled together. And, you know, the vast majority of places around the world where the needs are the greatest, both for the gospel, they're also the needs of, you know, for the most just social assistance and compassion ministries. We're not going to even win a hearing for the gospel unless we lead with compassion ministries. That's the only way, that and as ministry right. are the only open doors. So we, we talked about that, but you know, Josiah, um, I probably should let you make this transition. There was one big <laughs> thing Josiah was, me, was missing, like yeah. many millennials. And that didn't come till he was 26 when he discovered God's word on his own. Right. And uh, when he heard God's word, he repented. He wanted to learn more and then he leveraged his influence to share God's word and renew the covenant, reinstitute the celebration of the Passover to rightfully worship God. Cause you can't just take the negative things away. Right. You got to build positive things in his place. And he really didn't have the tools to do that until he became a man of the scriptures and that's why I think walk through the Bible was birthed for today. That's why I think our intersection filled with what you do and others do in orphan care is so great because you've got so many people who are trying to fix things with great hearts. But at the end of the day, if all we do is make people's lives better here on earth and make them more comfortable on their way to eternity in hell, have we served them or have we done them a disservice? And when you can couple those together and the ministry is is complete and holistic, I think it parallels Christ. And I believe the millennials are going to lead us into that because they look at it and they go, where'd the division come from? You didn't get it right. from this book called the Bible. So I'm, you know, I mean, I, I hear all the jokes about millennials and I have two of them in my own family and, um, oh yeah, they resist labels. and. And and OK, they may be struggle to commit to something long term. But Barna recently did a study and found millennials are the most likely generation to share their faith in America hmm. of any age group. And what a, what a wonderful surprise right? that is. And when they find their cause and when it's coupled with solid teaching from God's word. So we're not just treating symptoms. Yep. We're going after root problems then we've got a generation just waiting to be mobilized to change the world. Absolutely. And I, and I think one of the things, and you, you
2: touched on it a bit, and I'd love to uh, just hear a little bit more uh, clarity on it from you. Um, but just talking about that one thing that is missing from that generation, really the idea of social reform is rarely sustainable without spiritual revival, without an inward transformation, because to just say, let's go change the world. Let's go do something. Well, that won't last without that inward transformation,
0: right? Yeah. That's what I believe. And, you know, it's, it's on both ends of that. It's, it's on those of us who are going and trying to serve, mm-hmm. um, will run out of
3: gas yeah.
0: unless we're being energized by God himself and fed regularly by the teachings of the Bible. But it's, it's also true of those we're trying to serve. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you look at, You look at all the money that's been raised to feed the poor and so much of it gets diverted because of corruption in governments and we can gripe about that all day we want until the hearts of the leaders are inclined toward god that's going to keep happening and there's so much corruption that you see the same thing with with aids education Mm -hmm. you know you spend billions of dollars sometimes and And, you know, you get the truth out there and then a king or a president of a country will say, yes, I sleep with prostitutes, but I always bathe afterward. So I'm fine. (laughs) And, you you know, you just put your head in your hands and you go, that just erased, you know, how how much printed material, how many teachings Because like, oh, if our king says that works, then what do I have to worry about? And it's just. Until the hearts of people are changed, we ultimately are treating symptoms. And that's not a bad thing. We gotta treat symptoms because Jesus wants us to be compassionate and care not mm-hmm. just say, be warmed and filled, eternity's coming, right. you know. But, but to really change lives. It, it takes the word of God both to sustain us, but also to, to transform the folks who are the recipients of our compassion. Absolutely.
2: Well, Phil, I could talk all day with you, but I know both of us have things to get to. And I know that the listeners would probably get bored after an hour and a half of us talking. But we do have two more questions for well, you. Well, we wouldn't be bored. Well, we wouldn't be bored, but no, the listeners no, might that's be. Right. Wait, the listeners may be. Um, well, The last two questions that we do ask all of our guests, and it's uh, partly, as I've said, selfish because I want to get my reading list uh, bolstered. But what one thing have you read or listened to or even watched in the past uh, few months that has most shaped your thinking about uh, orphan care or you know, to the issues that you're working with in
0: uh, with Walk Through the Bible? There's a book that's really helping me, and I'm totally blanking on the author's name. But you can Google it and (laughs) get the author's name. It's called Change or Die. And um, you know, walk through the Bible is, as, as I said, we're just turning 40, we've got a great heritage, but we've, we've just got to re-architect everything for new younger generations. Mm-hmm. And um, our donor base has gotten old, our staff is getting older, um, our board is, as our board chair says, we're a little long in the tooth, that's the way he puts <laughs> it. You know, and our faculty, especially here in the U.S., So, you know, there's this big need um, to just just re-architect everything for the future. And this book, Change or Die, um, was the wake-up call I needed to really get that and to realize I'm 58 and a half. um, You know, I'd love to lead Walk Through the Bible maybe for 10 years more, let's say. I'm never going to retire. I can't afford to retire, but I always want to travel and write and speak. But somebody else can do the administration and the <laughs> fundraising right. and all that good stuff. But um, I want to lead the way in some of that transformation to reach younger generations now because I've got mm-hmm. the trust of the board and the donors. And I don't want to just stick my head in the sand and then let you know whoever leads it next be stuck with all mm-hmm. those challenges. That's just not right and it won't end well if we do that so that book change or die um has been really really good for me um i've gotten to be friends a little bit with with bob goff as well and so i'm rereading love does right Mm -hmm. now which i know topped the bestseller list and you know, it's part of the story. I, I, I think it ought to be read side by side with when helping hurts, um, you know, because love does is just do something, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. but let's do smart somethings right. too. And if, right. you, if you read them together, but especially for, um, I see this in my own kids, especially in millennials, there's the idea of, well, what if I, what if I do the wrong thing? What if this isn't, mm-hmm. what if this isn't really what God's will is for me? Mm-hmm. And the great part of love does is like, well, how about responding to the needs that God brings across your path right. exactly. and then trust him to unfold your future. And mm-hmm. it just, it just makes everything more accessible. And you know, Bob, Bob is a nutcase mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and you can tell that in his book. And you know he gets a lot of rocks thrown at him. You oversimplify everything, mm-hmm. and he's like, he's like, well, why don't you start, mm-hmm. and then God will show you the extra things. But do the first thing. So I'm kind of, uh, I'm actually pretending, this is silly, but um, I'm pretending while I read it that I'm 22 and just finishing college. And, and I'm thinking, how differently would I live my life if I had followed the principles right. that are in this book? I would have taken a whole lot more mm-hmm. risks. I would have feared failure a whole lot less. Right. And, and I would have just, I would have pursued a whole lot more adventures in my life. So right. um, those are probably the two books that, yeah. are, that are impacting me the most right now. Yeah, I just finished Love Does as well. And it was fun also to listen to Bob
2: read it. Oh, um, my that goodness. Was, that was, I listened to it on audio. So I, I recommend that book. And I, 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 funny, I said that, what he said about do something. I have kind of tagged on the with excellence on the back of it. Yeah. Do something with excellence. And I think if you talk to Bob, he would agree with that. Yeah, he would totally and, agree And with that. to not just go out. But you're right. Like, I think so many people are frozen in fear. That that do something message is so
0: important. But how many things in your life, the first time you did them, did you do them with excellence? Right, right. You fell on your face the yep. first steps you took. You wiped out on your bicycle. Mm-hmm. Your first time that you did public speaking, I'll bet you're not sharing that on the podcast. <laughs> right. You know, and you go on and on and on. So, yep. so this idea, and I do see so many millennials especially, and, and just I'm a, I'm a reforming perfectionist. Uh, I say reforming, but if I'm honest and a real perfectionist, I'm still a perfectionist. So <laughs> I just lied. I need to fix that. But, um, y- y- you know, we've just got to accept the fact, Stuart and Jill Briscoe were here with us this mm-hmm. week. And Jill talked about Stuart just saying, do it badly, do it poorly the first few times, but just Get out there and share your gift. My dad used to always say, it's way easier for God to steer a moving object than a parked car, Mm. which is really, really true. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff. Um, So uh, last
2: question, what person has most impacted the work that you're doing? Most impacted you in forming you and shaping you in the work that you're doing?
0: You mean currently
2: or historically? Historically in, in your life.
0: Man, um, I heard Chip Ingram when he was leading Walk Through the Bible. He he talked about his personal Mount Rushmore, you Mm -hmm. know, and the four presidents that are on there, and um, it got me thinking. And I could talk about multiple people, but um, my dad was a huge impact in my life. I, I watched him. He was always wise. He was always compassionate. So very generous. Um, had a real burden for the company he worked, making them more diverse culturally. And those things were just in my DNA. Um, He and Mom struggled in their marriage. And Dad reluctantly decided to stay till I'd graduate from high school, and then he was going to leave. And uh, this was when I was in third grade. But over those 10 years, God ambushed him and got his heart. And um, I, just, I just said goodbye to my dad two years ago. I had to do his funeral, mm-hmm. um, which was, uh, that was that was just so gut-wrenching. i have done my mom's funeral as well, my sister's funeral. When you're the like the designated family pastor, mm-hmm. this stuff falls to you, you know. But um, I found myself thinking this week, even at Mount Hermon, I look at the three- and four-generation families around here, and I'm like, man, I wish my mom and dad were here. So mm-hmm. that just just the lessons that he taught me um was far from perfect because we all come from really messed up families Mm -hmm. but just to see um and especially his compassion and his heart for the hurting um i there's just nobody else who lines up Uh, my wife has come alongside me and you know we'll be married 36 years this december to have somebody who saw gifts in me before i saw them in myself Mm -hmm. or most anybody else did and still she's just such an encourager so they would have the two end places mm-hmm. on my Mount Rushmore and next time we talk together I'll tell you yep. about some of the other ones in the middle but um, it just I just I find myself the older I get you know you I meet a lot of people I travel extensively for walk through the Bible but it's the people where the long-term relationships are there right. that can speak into your life um you know, that's, that's the value. And so what's that have to do with this? this well, that's orphan care. Mm-hmm. You know, what about the people who have nobody like that? That's what God's called
2: us to. Amen. Well, what a great uh, thing to end on. And thank you so much for your time. And I just look forward to continuing this conversation someday soon. I love it, Phil. Thank you. Once again, I just really enjoyed that interview with uh, Phil, and uh, he's, he's a great friend who I've really gotten to know over the years. And if you're wondering out there, he is the real deal. He's not just a talking head. He's a man who cares deeply, loves deeply, and and is very very wise. So, Kelly, what uh, what did you come take away from that uh, from that interview?
1: I took away a couple of things. I think once, just how just the work that uh, Walk Through the Bible is doing to really impact the globe and how just you know the bible being in all the all the nations of the world and will only have a positive impact I feel like on orphan care if the gospel is applied. Um, and and that's exciting to me, but I think another thing that was fun to hear him really talk about was just the role of millennials and, and the future that that is really kind of in their, their hands So the next generation, but I think they can sometimes get a bad rap, but just, you know, they are super cause oriented. They're very passionate. And so being able to connect their passions to, um, Two really causes around the world, I think is, it could be a really, really positive step in orphan in the orphan care and the orphan crisis, just as they they are out of the box thinking begins to um, really begin to play out. So what about you, Phil?
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the millennial conversation is really interesting and just one that we do need to engage and we need to, we do need to be thinking, like you said, outside the box. We, and I think that there is a very, Um, if, If nothing else, just different thinking, you know, from the past, just the way we've always done things that we don't do it just because we've always done it. And so when you get passion, when you get, you know, like you said, cause oriented, when you get these people coming in, I think there needs to be a balance because there is a wisdom in the older generations that have been doing it for a long time. But there's also things we've learned that sometimes you get caught up in the way you've done it. You don't want to think differently. So I think to be able to bring those two together can be just incredible as far as the future. And I think that you also talked about the importance of Scripture and the thing that Walk Through the Bible does as good as anybody is really get people into the Word to engage it. And as I've talked about in the past, you know, when we're talking about doing justice, when we're talking about seeking justice for the orphan, and for the widow and for the oppressed, you know, without an absolute, without scripture as our absolute, it's hard to have justice because justice is making things right. And without a right, you know, how can we make things right? And so I think to really understand what we believe in scripture, to understand what it says is really one of the only ways that we're going to be able to, um, truly seek justice in our world today. So, yeah. Do you have any other final thoughts on that?
1: No, just that I think people really do. You know, it is reading the word, but it's also um, reading it with the with with a thought or a, their mind focused on the spirit of how they're going to lead. And so, I think that just that can be what's exciting about how God will use Scripture, obviously, to draw people to Himself, but also just how um, through the Scripture He will lead them to engage the world around them. So, I think that's that's really what's exciting to me about the work that they're doing as
2: well. Well, great. Well, yeah. And so walk through the Bible, do an awesome work. I encourage you all out there to take a look at it and to get to know a little bit of the the work that they're doing, to find out some of the materials they've have, um, and different things you can be, uh, doing with the materials that they, ha- that they have put out there, the curriculum they have, some of their devotionals are pretty, pretty awesome. So definitely encourage you to go out and check that out. We'll have them on the on the show notes for this episode. Um, but uh, the next thing that we have go- coming up here is thoughts from the field, which I know that a lot of people out there have told me they really are enjoying this segment, as am I, because we get little snippets and we get little insights from people that are doing this work day in and day out out there. As I said at the beginning of the episode, right now we got some some words from Irini uh, Mota with uh, Restoration Ministries, and they are in Brazil and so I am excited for you to hear how Irini uh, answered the question. You know what is one of the biggest issues you think that the orphan crisis, uh, the orphan care movement, is facing today, and how can we address it? So here she goes.
3: Well, in Brazil, one of the biggest challenge with the kids and vulnerability uh, at the risk that we work with. The biggest challenge is to help the kids to change their mindset because they live in a very poor situation, not just economically, but emotionally, psychologically, talking anyway. That is not a whole model at the home. Um, the parents usually, they really don't care about encourage them to go to study. To encourage them to have hope, to go for college, it is a kind of mindset. We wanted to help the kids to break the cycle and see that is hope. They can be better person, goes to study, have a job. Even though if they still live in the favela, they can have a different life, much better situation if they come to looking for hope and uh, you know. And once they. Are looking for hope and also get together to get to know Christ and we see their life can be transformed for sure. Another thing it is very common for the kids who lives on this situation, day by day they are facing uh, drug dealers selling drugs offered to them They some of the kids actually they work for the drug dealers the teenagers between 12 to 13 years old they can make more money just look for the drug business be in the street to help them they can make more money uh, much more than an employee who goes to work every day eight hours and per month you know, this sounds so attractive for the kids, being involved with drugs, prostitution you know, there is no hope and this is the big issues that we face in the ministry today, how to change that, how to help these kids see that this is not the value that they could keep on it, you know, they can change, they can break the cycle
2: well, once again, I think that we can take a lot of wisdom away from our thoughts from the field. And, and I just uh, hope that you can take a look at what the motors are doing in Brazil in Sao Paulo and learn from it and hopefully be able to apply some of it to the work that you're doing wherever you are around the world. So uh, as we get ready to finish up another episode, Kelly, uh, we now have the Phil and Kelly recommends segment that we kind of took a little break last week from it. But I'm excited to hear what you have to share with all of us.
1: Well, this week, I'm going to recommend a children's book, actually, and this is for um, adoptive families, and it's a book called God Found Us You by Lisa Berggren. I think it's how you spell her last name, but there's a series of books, God God uh, Gave Us You, but this one is uh, for adoptive families, and so it's just a sweet little story um, about a fox and uh, just the conversation that he and his mom have at bedtime, as a lot of adoptive parents I know out there have these these deep conversations with their with their kids at bedtime, as all parents do. Um, and so it's just a sweet little book that's kind of geared for younger kids, but just gives a sweet little picture of, of uh, talk, how to talk and just answering those questions. And I, it's just a fun little book. So nothing too heady, but uh, I'd, I highly recommend it.
2: Well, thanks, Kelly, for that recommendation. I, I know that a lot of people out there will be able to get some great bedtime reading with that because I definitely have read the uh, God Gave Us You uh, part of that series and my kids absolutely love it so I, I I know that that author is fantastic the illustrations are great as well so you know I hope all you out there are able to take a minute uh, to go to iTunes and rate this show because that definitely helps us out let's get it out there to more people already in just six months we've had over 9,000 downloads in 60 countries and it's just phenomenal and so thank you for being a part of that I hope that you can help others to become Uh, listeners of this show as well and be a part of it themselves. So until next time, just have a fantastic week. And I just pray and pray that you will continually be thinking about how you can love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each day.